0: Good morning. All right, I thought uh, since school has or is starting, it would be fun to start with a test. It's more like a survey, kind of like that first day of school survey that most of us have to do. So we're going to do a quick poll. Who loves change? Raise your hand. OK. Who just thrives on adventure and newness? Yeah. Okay. How about not so much? (laughs) Raise your hand if not so much with the change. I thrive on new experiences. I love exploring new towns, new cities. I love going on vacation and trying new foods. But... I also like to retreat to the safety of my living room with my own couch, with my Netflix, who already knows that I love the great British baking show and Scooby Doo, and yet still doesn't judge me. Netflix knows my heart. Because new can be so exciting, but it can also be scary and hard and weird. So as you guys have heard, this is our last Sunday here. This is my last day on staff. And so we're on the precipice of new and scary and hard and kind of weird. Our kids actually started school on Monday. We got them enrolled down in College Place. And they got to experience firsthand the weird of new, Hazel in particular, So first day of school, I pick them up. They had a great day. Tell me what you did. Tell me who you met. Well, Hazel told me all about this assembly that they had with her assistant principal. I also like telling stories. In fact, when I speak at youth camp, I usually say, okay, guys, here's how this go. I say story time, and you say story time. And by the end of a youth camp, these kids are screaming, story time, which is really precious because they're teenagers. Um, But I love telling stories. So I decided to tell Hazel the story of when her assistant principal and I in high school went to a Sadie Hawkins dance. Listen, you think you get to embarrass your kids? Oh, no, 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 no. I have never seen Hazel so mortified, big eyes in the back seat, and she goes, Mom, did you date my assistant principal? No, we went to Sadie Hawkins' dance. He was just my date to the dance. You said date. (laughs) Because for me, even new, scary, and hard, we're going home. I grew up going to the same schools that my kids just got enrolled into. But for our kids, they get to hear stories about how their mom dated their assistant principal. I tried to make it better. I explained, no, you don't you don't even know. I set him up with his wife that night. Listen. To a nine-year-old? That doesn't make any difference. So she's conflicted right now, and I understand. She's trying to figure out if she should walk up to him and say, hey, I heard you daddy to my mom, or just let it go. I'm pushing really hard for letting it go. (laughs) Oh, gosh. I'm not going to sing let it go. (laughs) Whoever did that, that was a good try. But today we're going to be looking at another story of transition, and this transition wasn't exciting. This transition was only new, scary, and hard. We're going to be in primarily the book of Jeremiah, and the book of Jeremiah outlines the Babylonian captivity of the nation of Israel. Jeremiah was a priest, and he was a prophet, which means he was responsible for the daily in-and-out religious life of his people, and he was chosen by God to bring his word so that the people knew what they were to do and when they were to do it. The captivity was in response to the great idolatry happening in Israel. The Israelites were captivated and in love with Canaanite gods. And while that might not seem like that big of a deal, when you're the God who rescued a people, you get to be the one that they love. And more so, Canaanite worship often involved just horrific practices, one of which child sacrifice. The Israelites had not only turned their back on God, they had gone as deep into darkness as possible. And God, being loving and gracious, sent Jeremiah to warn over and over again. He gave opportunity to switch roads, to take a better path, and yet they decided that they got to choose who they would love. And while we all have that right, When someone wins and fights for our hearts, that's where our hearts find security. God was not only after the heart of his people. He knew that their hearts were safest with him. He knew that their worship was safest with him. They knew that his sovereignty and security is what they were created for. And yet he still allowed them to choose. So warning after warning after warning, and the great enemy of the North Babylon came in. And Jeremiah is a unique book because not only does it record the prophecies and the religious life of Israel, Jeremiah was living through the suffering and siege of his people. So we get a firsthand account of what happened when Israel fell, when Jerusalem fell. We get a list of God's judgments in this book, and we could do another poll, but I won't. Who feels uncomfortable with the word judgment? We don't like the list of judgments. And so context really matters. I remember the first time I kind of read through Jeremiah, and it was years ago, and I thought, wow, I think maybe God's a jerk. And then, as you dig into the practices of his people, you realize that he was rescuing them from things that would corrupt their hearts and their souls. He experienced pain as his people turned away. And so, a new season in the life of Israel began. Our first scripture today says this is, so I'm looking um, at the screen because I only have verses and I was 90% sure it was 29, but it is. Look, Jeremiah 29, four through seven. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel says to all the captives that he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Okay, before we even get into what God said, let's just keep in mind that God was still speaking. He had sent Jeremiah with his message, and they had not received it. And yet, God was not willing to let them go quietly into that dark night. This is what he said Build homes and plan to stay, plant gardens and eat the food they produce, marry and have children, then find spouses for them so that you may have grandchildren. Multiply. Do not dwindle away and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. No, thank you. I don't want to get sent into timeout and then pray for my timeout spot. That does not sound like my heart or my nature, God is speaking a very challenging message to his people. He's saying, first of all, you're going to be there a while. Because it takes a while to plant a garden. I have a pumpkin patch. I'll just start with that. And as our offers came in for our house, all I could think of, as silly as it might seem, was my pumpkin patch, We planted those pumpkins together, and we got the seeds in late. And so our harvest is coming mid-October. But even that was a several-month process. We had to till up the land. We had to fertilize. We had to mix in garden soil into our glorious sandy soil that we have here. I went out every morning to see if they were getting enough water. I yelled at my dogs to get out of my garden. It's a labor of love, and I've become probably oddly attached to these baby pumpkins that are starting to grow on the vine. But then to have kids and find them spouses so you can have grandchildren, this is not a six-month process. God is saying, you might not go home in your lifetime. Oh, and by the way, you should pray for this city where you are a foreigner, where you are not welcome, where you are not respected or given citizenship. You are to pray for the place that I have brought you That's a hard enough message for any of us who are trying to follow Jesus, but how would that hit my heart if I were in a rebellion to God already? No, I'm not gonna do what you, you did this to me. I'm not gonna pray for anything and I'm definitely not gonna pray to you about anything. But what I love about this is that God is still speaking, even in that hard message. Even in that painful season, God has something to say. So today, I'm going to ask us some questions. So we'll kind of take a section of scripture and then ask some reflection questions. And these are questions I've been asking myself as we prepare to follow where God has called us. So my first one, where are we rooted that we need to pray for welfare for our community? Because some of us love it here and some of us don't, and some of us are leaving it and we love it anyway. So how do we pray for welfare of a community? And beyond our city or cities, what's it look like for our workplace? Because some of us love it there and some of us don't. How do we seek God's provision For our communities, whatever they look like. That can look like our family. Some of you might not be thinking about Christmas, and that's normal. I am. It's fine. But with Christmas comes family. With Thanksgiving comes family. Some of you are hanging on to summer. I apologize. I can see it in your face. Where is God asking us to seek the welfare of our city? Where is God asking us to plant and be rooted? And what does it look like to be in a season where we're discontent with where we're at? How do we find sovereignty and security in God when we're waiting for the next thing or we're stuck in the old thing or we're just kind of existing? How do we be who we need to be? Hopeful people who are planning for the future, planting gardens and having kids and grandkids. Literally or metaphorically. How do we be caretakers of the places that God has placed us in? All right, we're moving on. Jeremiah 29, I know now. See, because I checked. 29, 8 through 9. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. Do not let your prophets and fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams because they are telling you lies in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. That's a weird thing to say. Here's what this means. People will come to you with words of encouragement People will come with hope that you're going home. People are going to claim that they've seen visions and had dreams of God using Israel to smite Babylon. Don't listen to them. They're not from me. What he's saying is I have said my peace through Jeremiah. I am not sending a new word. I am telling you you're staying And I know for me, sometimes I try to read signs. Oh, hey, I really want a new car. And look, a new car commercial. Obviously, this is God's way of telling me it's time to get a new car. Or if I have a dream and I wake up and it's like something amazing, like I should go I don't know, on a trip to Rome and I just, I just dreamt about Rome and I was in Rome eating pizza and it was glorious and I'm just gonna charge that bad boy because God has given me a dream, it's a sign and then I drove by a pizza place so of course that was confirmation <laughs> and I make light of it but I do that and I'm, I'm hoping I'm not alone in that, <laughs> betting I'm not alone in that When you are in a dark season or a desperate place, we try to find things that confirm our hope. And I can only imagine the nation of Israel whose history has been as a people set apart for God's purposes, who are now lost in a pagan land, are desperate for a message of encouragement. And God says, don't listen. I'm not sending it. But again, he's still speaking. The message of hope is that God is still present and he has not left his people. So how can we be honest with ourselves about the state of our communities and nation? How can we stop placing hope in things apart from God's sovereignty, because this is a gear up for an emotional and potentially tumultuous season. I take a Facebook break when election season hits, and I love Facebook, okay? I love social media. I just can't, because it makes my heart so heavy, feeling uncertain, And I think about kids going back to school, and I remember being, oh, probably in the fifth grade, staying up till four in the morning because I was so nervous about starting over. And we're going into fall, and we're going into winter, and that can be a very heavy time for some of us. Some of us might be feeling anxious about different mental struggles that come with dark and long days longer nights. We're gearing up for what could be a difficult season. So I I think what God is saying is, I'm not sending you these messages of hope because I am hope. I'm not giving dreams and visions to people who will lie to you and make you feel better and surely so-and-so won't get elected and surely our kiddos will never face struggles in school and surely my depression's not coming back this year. He's not calling us to self-soothe or self-delude, but instead he is saying, I am sufficient in the midst of new, hard, scary, and weird He said that to his people in exile. And they had to acknowledge that they were in exile. And they had to get on board with his plan to create something beautiful in the midst of a trial. And let's be clear here as well, not everybody who got sent into exile deserved it. There were innocent people who got conquered. There were innocent people who lost their lives. So it isn't always a difficult season because somebody or us, we did something wrong. But God still speaks when it's hard. Verse 10 goes on to say, This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years. Guys, sometimes I don't feel like I can struggle through 70 minutes. I have finals week this week. And I keep thinking about the next 7 days, thinking, "Well, I'll just go into exile. It's fine. I don't I don't need to take my finals." 70 years, that's a lifetime. That's what we, some of us hope for, 70 good years. Oh, I love how God doesn't just stop. He continues on, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised. I will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And I think a lot of us have probably heard that verse. For me, it took on so much more meaning, knowing that he was speaking to a people who were torn apart by war. Because I tell myself, oh, God's got good plans for me, not for disaster. So yeah, no, it's totally fine. I don't need a new car. Wow, that is not the same thing as speaking to a hurting person Desperate people, separated from their homes. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I love that. Because God's presence is there and he's amplifying it in those days. God's presence is there, his voice is there, his sovereignty and guidance is there and he's promising more, even more. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and will bring you home again to your own land. It is staggering to me and this is a reflection of my own stubborn heart that those things came to pass and that Israel regained her faithfulness to God. Because I tend to be a little bitter. Ah, you did this to me. I think we're done. And over the years of following Jesus, I've realized that is not healthy or helpful And that is not how God deals with me. In fact, I had a very difficult situation with a very close friend, and he and I lost touch and stopped talking. And then my first daughter was born. And for whatever reason, I felt God was like, you need to go fix that, okay? You're a mom. You're an adult. It's been a few years, and you've left this conflict with a brother in Christ because you were too hard-hearted to own your piece of it. So I took my baby, my eight-month-old baby, and went down to his office somebody I hadn't seen in four years and said, hey, so remember how I was a jerk? I don't want to share that was the end of the story with my kid, so I'm very sorry. Guys, it was really awkward and confusing. It was a little weird. But what I've realized more and more is that God deals with us in a very similar way. Just waits for us to come to him. Have you ever gotten mad at your dog? And your dog is very sad. And then you say, oh, come here, I'm sorry. And what do they do? Cat people, you can't relate to this because your cat is still mad at you. But the second you show softness, your dog is right there. And not that I want to compare God to a dog, but that warmth and love and acceptance and forgetting of what happened is so his heart and nature. How can we trust God's sovereignty in the seasons of hardship, newness, or fear? Knowing that He is with us through them. And then we'll continue to amplify His love and grace and mercy as we walk. Man, I want that to be a bumper sticker that I hold right here. God will amplify as I trust, as I walk. You know, and I wonder if it is less that God increases and more that our openness to his presence and peace does as a result of the stripping away that comes with hard times. All right. So how do we put this into practice? Because especially thinking through some of some of the upheaval that might be coming in our country and some of just the nastiness that's happened in probably every election season, but definitely the ones I've been a part of. I have a challenge for you and for me, probably more for me, but here it goes. First John chapter 2. Dear friends, I am not writing a new commandment for you. Rather, it is an old one you have had from the very beginning. This old commandment to love one another is the same message you heard before. Yet it is also new. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment, and you are also living it. For the darkness is disappearing, and the true light is already shining. If anyone claims I'm living in the light but hates a fellow believer, that person is still living in darkness. Anyone who loves a fellow believer is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. But anyone who hates a fellow believer is still living and walking in darkness. Such a person does not know the way to go, having been blinded by the darkness. So we can sub out light and darkness for home and exile. For easy and hard. God's command to his people in the midst of suffering was love one another, build families, build each other up. Bring people that you don't agree with before me. Seek the welfare of the place I've put you And I'm not gonna add on to scripture because that's not great, but I'm gonna encourage us to think about what it looks like just to not hate in general. This specifically is talking about believer to believer, but the life and example of Jesus and the words of God press us beyond loving one another to loving everyone. That means that you don't, and I don't, get to hate anybody who looks, acts, believes, thinks, smells different than you. Dresses, I mean, there's a list. Probably not smells, that one's probably too far. I am called to seek the welfare of the place that I have been planted. You are called to do the same. And yeah, there's specifics in what that looked like for the nation of Israel in exile, but there is so much more for us to garner from that. Seeking the welfare of the community means we create peace in places that we go. Seeking the welfare of community means that we don't let division get the final word. Seeking peace of our, uh, excuse me, welfare of our city means that we don't abide by any form of discrimination, but instead we love without boundaries. And I am challenged in this because as I said, I'm going home. And funny story about dating the assistant principal aside I ran into people I didn't get along with in high school at open house. People that God is calling me back to, to minister to, to love. Coworkers that didn't end super well, guess where they still live? And I find the most powerful teaching comes from where I'm living, and that's where I'm at. And I would bet that some of us are in transition as well. And if we aren't, we will be. And so it's important for us to remember, we're commanded to seek the welfare of the city, of our community, of our families, so that God can be made known. So today, may we be a people who refuses to yield to darkness. May we confidently say, and show that we are living in the light. May we seek the welfare of the places that we are planted, and may we grow gardens of love and peace.